Scriptures to Genesis chapter 11, and your pew Bible, it's on page 8, I believe. Genesis chapter 11, we're going to look at the first nine verses. I'll read the first four to start with. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. (laughs) I long for that some days. Wouldn't that be great? And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens And let us make a name for ourselves, lest, here's key, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now this chapter describes the world after Noah and the flood. The flood wiped out evil men, but sin still remained after the flood in the world and the hearts of human beings. And so as mankind began to multiply after the flood, you still had people who believed in God and you had others who chased their own evil desires. Now, most people believe that the sin involved in the building of the Tower of Babel was the sin of human pride. And there's a lot of truth to that as we see in these verses here. These folks regarded themselves as so special, so intelligent. Did you notice they said that they could make bricks for buildings? They didn't have to go out like normal people and get stones out of the field and gather all those heavy things. They're just going to make bricks. And they had bitumen. It was a tar-like substance, except it was even waterproof. They didn't have to go make mud to put between the spaces of stones like normal people. They were special. We got bricks. We've invented. We've got bitumen we found. They were so cocky, they actually thought they could build a tower that could reach to the high heavens. So yes, pride, arrogance, all part of the reasons for God's judgment on them. But there's a particular more rebellious reason for God's judgment on them. I don't want us to miss this. Now, after the flood, God gave a very direct commandment to the descendants of Noah. Flip back a few pages and you will see this in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. After the flood, God said, or actually he he blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and Fill the earth. I want this earth that's been destroyed replenished. He also repeats this command in verse 7 of chapter 9. So how do people fill the earth? You begin by engaging in a massive pioneer movement to scatter yourselves across the world. So after the flood, people were to go to the ends of the earth, spread themselves across this beautiful globe that God had spared through the flood. They were to disperse themselves and fill the earth. But in Genesis chapter 11, 
This particular group, they didn't want to do that. Verse 2 says very clearly, they settled. They settled in the land of Shinar. Settle doesn't mean you, you stay for a few years and move on. I don't know what God's total plan on, on filling. I, I, I'm guessing here that a large family went somewhere, settled for three or four or five years, had their babies, got them nursed, maybe left a few there. And then the next group went on to the next spot and on and on and on until God's command that the whole earth was filled. But these folks said, no, we're staying right here. We desire to make a name for ourselves. We're not going to be dispersed over the face of the earth. Like God said, they thought themselves wiser than God. So this rebellion not only has to do with pride and arrogance, but it is rebellion against God's plan to repopulate his globe. Some commentators have even suggested that these people refuse to believe God in another way. Do you remember after the flood, God said, I'm never going to destroy the world like this again. There'll never be another flood like this. In fact, I, I give you my promise, the rainbow in the sky. Y'all remember those, those, you know, courses from Sunday school. Some have suggested that these folks weren't real sure about trusting God at all. And so they decided to build this tower so tall that no flood could ever wipe them out again. It's like they're saying, look at this, God. Water can't reach us. They were a rebellious people. They found a very comfortable spot to permanently settle. They were tired of being the pioneers God wanted them to be. They were not going to obey God ever again. So they decided to just stay put and build a glorious empire. Now, how do we apply this to today? Well, First of all, we need to understand that we live in a different era of God's plan. The earth is now full. Uh, the world is well populated. That part of God's plan has been fulfilled in that regard. And so most of us are settled. I'd be willing to bet a good number of us here. We have a home. We're happy in our home. We are never going to move again until God calls us home to heaven. And I want to say that's okay. Because in our day, we're not called to be constantly on the move. The earth is already full of human beings. However, we are still to follow God's command of being spiritually fruitful and spiritually going to the ends of the earth with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, for that reason... I believe every Christian ought to have a passport. Now, I won't embarrass any of you and say, how many of you don't have a passport? I'm just going to say, I think every Christian ought to have a passport because you never know when God's going to call you on mission. And when God says, man, I need you to go to Canada or Mexico, I want you to do this mission trip, you don't have to tell God, well, I need another six months because, you know, the bureaucracy, get pictures, all that stuff. No, you're ready to go. You need a passport. There's also some application here that we need to go to the ends of the earth with just the translation of Scripture. If you ever get a chance to go to Washington, D.C., there's a relatively new museum. It's the Bible Museum. It's fabulous. And on about the fifth floor or so, 
There's a room maybe half the size of this auditorium. It's built in the shape of a library. And so it's got shelves on, on one wall from, from floor to ceiling and shelves on the other wall floor to ceiling. And it illustrates the languages of the world and those that have scripture translated into them. So there are 7,378 languages in the world. Let's say 7,400 languages. And in this little museum, they have a little section, and I believe they are bound in yellow. It doesn't matter, but it's a color. There are 717 languages that have the complete Bible. Out of 7,400, 717 have a complete Bible. And then there's another color on that wall. I think it might be blue. And there's almost 1,600 languages that have the full New Testament. And then the next color, I think it's red, something like that. There's almost 3,000, 2,899 languages that are they're working on. They might have a chapter. They might just have, you know, a book. But they're working on it. And then on this wall over here, and I think they're all bound in brown, 3,883 languages yet to be translated into God's Word. And when I sat there and looked at that, I mean, it was overwhelming to see that image. Now, God did tell me, hey, not all so bad, even though some languages aren't translated into scripture i have my people there missionaries are going into countries and tribes and nations one after another they're learning the language they're speaking the language they are verbally sharing the gospel with people people are being saved but as of yet there's almost 4000 of these language groups they don't have the scripture in their own language to be discipled We are still to follow God's command of being spiritually fruitful and spreading the gospel through the whole earth by word and by print. But in Genesis chapter 11, because of their sin in refusing to fill the earth, God's judgment comes. So let's look at these following verses, verse uh, 5. So the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold... They are one people, they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Now let me kind of stop there. What, is God, God afraid of what man's going to do? No. He's saying just this is the beginning. The beginning of what? Is he afraid they're going to become better engineers and build bigger towers? I don't think so. God's not afraid of science. God's not, not afraid of any of that. Think what he's pointing out here. They have one language. The only thing this is the beginning of, this is the beginning of their sin and rebellion. They can take this further, like the people before Noah. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us, and I think this is a, a reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And then notice this word a couple of times here. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth. 
and left them off, and they left off the building of the city. Therefore, its name was Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord, here's that word again, dispersed them from um, over the face of the earth. God's will is going to be done. Even in our sin. God comes down as if he doesn't know what's going on. But before he gives judgment, he, 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 he checks our sin out first. God is just. He's fair in our dealing with us. In fact, I think God was, was being patient with them. He let them build that tower another floor or two in their rebellion, hoping they'd put an end to it before he had to, hoping they would repent, hoping they would reconsider their actions. And yet they continued in their sin, but God is patient even in our rebellion. But let there be no mistake, judgment does come. And so you and I this morning, we cannot take advantage of the goodness, the patience, and the mercy of God. Let us repent while there is time. Now, unity is normally a good thing, but these folks were unified in rebellion and sin. That's not a good thing. So God broke the party up so things wouldn't get worse. God keeps sin in check in this world until the final days when Christ comes again. The Holy Spirit is doing that even to this day. And by creating multiple languages, God basically divided people up into many groups who would then go and fill the earth. Sin is not to unite people. God's will is to, not, is to unite people. And so the languages were confused. And yet we live in a time where we're comfortable with the language that we speak. There are 2 million English-speaking people in Europe. I'm not counting the UK, okay? Just mainland Europe. 2 million English speakers. They're there for work. They're there for military. They're there because they've chosen to live there. And the International Baptist Convention has 66 Baptist churches in Europe and growing all the time. And they all speak English. And we've been privileged in this last year to be an interim pastor there in Germany. Why is that? It's because people want to worship in their native tongue and heart language. So in the church in Germany in which we have served and we'll be going back in the fall, we have English-speaking Americans, we have English-speaking Germans, part of that church. We have English-speaking Brits, we have English-speaking South America, uh, African, South Africans. So you've got people from all over the world, but what unites them is their language because they want to worship God. So God is even using the sin of breaking up the languages to pull people together. You know, in one way, I wish the whole world spoke one language, but God created new languages to fulfill His plan of filling the earth. And now he uses what seems to be a barrier. You can't communicate with people if you don't know their language. That, that's a barrier that sin created. But it is a barrier that God overcomes in order for his grace and his gospel to be spread. We spent uh, six weeks this spring at the church in Germany and 
you don't plan these things. This is just God. You, you can't put this on an action plan. So we're there. The Ukrainian war breaks out. We have a Ukrainian refugee show up at church. They speak Russian. There's a family back there trying to help them translate the sermon with Google Translate, which is a great invention, by the way. And I'm going, man, if we have more Ukrainians coming, how, how are we going to present the gospel? Immediately after that service, a young lady comes up, military, 24, 25 years. She looked 12. <laughs> she works for... American intelligence. She can never tell me what she did, although I asked several times. She's a translator for our government. Russian. Language of the Ukrainians. She said, I'd be happy to take the verses you use, put them into Russian. You can put them on the screen where at least this lady could read the scripture. I thought, man, this is a great idea. And me being the pushy pastor, I had lunch with her that following week. Brenda and I said, how about this? I try to have my sermon done by Wednesday nights, Thursday morning at the latest. If I gave you my whole manuscript, could you translate that into Ukrainian, into Russian? And we just hand them a manuscript. She said, I'll be glad to do that. So I sent her, she spent like six hours translating this thing from English to Russian. And then I'm afraid, okay. That one Ukraine is not going to show up again. <laughs> and I'm just praying, you know, God, please let somebody show up. So the first service, I printed off two copies of the sermon. And that one lady did come back. And I noticed afterwards, both of them were gone. So I printed off three more, really trying to show faith here. No Ukrainians, but after church, all three are gone. So after a few weeks, I finally figured this out. We had a few Ukrainians coming. But the church members knew Ukrainians or were hosting some or had neighbors. They're taking these sermons and giving them away. And I'm going, man, I wish this had been my idea. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, a pastor doesn't sit in his office or the deacons don't have a deacons meeting and go, I, you know, I think we ought to put our sermons in Russian in case anybody shows up. God just does this stuff. But it is his way of using us to overcome communication and language barriers for his purposes and glory. So I want to give you just three quick lessons that uh, God has been showing me through this scripture and just uh, my experience. The first one is God's people can never forget the nations. We can't. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue must be reached for the cause of Jesus Christ. It is never acceptable for any of us to say, we're just going to care for our own people, our own little church, our own little Sunday school class, and that's it. And thank you, Talatha, for not being that kind of church. Thank you. Because you always have your eyes outside of this church. In fact, that you're, you're giving to Samaritan's Purse today shows that you're interested in reaching the world for Jesus Christ. But there are a lot of churches, a lot of Christians aren't like that. And one of the temptations for God's people is to try to find their cozy little place and settle down like the people of Shinar and just try to forget all the bad things that are happening out there in the world. Several centuries ago, we had the monastic movement. You know, 
People said, well, well, how can I retain my purity in the middle of a wicked world? And they said, well, you just got to go to, to a monastery and, and live a separate life and never encounter any unbelieving people. That just sounds like Genesis chapter 11 to me. Trying to stay away from the peoples and the nations and mixing with those who are opposed or not in God's will. Second thing I think God is showing all of us is God uses His people to overcome language barriers for His purposes and glory. So the last six weeks we were in, in France and uh, I was able to help drive four vehicles to the Ukraine for God's people to use there and we loaded it up with goods and washing machines, all that kind of stuff. Again, most of the people are speaking Russian. So God, in His infinite wisdom, in 2014, the Russians invaded Crimea. Remember that? Sergei had to flee. He speaks Ukrainian. He came to Lyon, France. There were 40 other refugees. He had a little Ukrainian church. Most people thought it was a Russian church because of the language. Now there's about 150 or 200 people in that congregation. And who is better equipped to do this than Sergey? So our missionary, Steve Marshall, I hope you'll meet him in the fall. And our, our four evangelical churches there in Lyon and some money from America came over. And we got four vehicles, two vans, two, one station wagon, one rather car. They, they want those big vans. You, you just can't find them right now because all of Europe's buying them up. And uh, we drove those things to the border, 18-hour drive to the Ukrainian border. We had another pastor accompany us. His name was Oleg. Oleg had just arrived in Lyon from the Ukraine. He came for the purpose of getting the right materials in those vans and helping us drive them back. And he had just survived a 41-hour bus trip to get there. 41 hours on a bus. I grew up about seven hours on an airplane. He's exhausted. We can't talk. <laughs> so the only way I can communicate with Oleg is I speak English to Steve Marshall, the missionary there. He speaks French to Sergey, who since 2000 understands the French language. Sergey speaks Russian to Oleg. So it gets really comical after a while. <laughs> Thank goodness for GPS, we didn't lose each other. But as, as uh, Oleg was fixing to take off, and the Ukrainians, you know, they're, they're just, they look hard, like they're mad all the time. They have hard to go, but they're just, you know, stoic. And I, I through all these translations, very slowly, you know, I said, Oleg, I, I wish we could have communicated better these three days we've known each other. And... Uh, but even though I don't understand a word you say, I know your heart. And one day when we're sitting around the throne, one God, one heaven, one language, we'll be able to share and understand all the things that God is doing. And I'm starting to choke up. Steve Marshall is starting to choke up. <laughs> Oleg, this big tear coming down. God overcomes 
whatever he needs to overcome to encourage people for his gospel to be shared. We got those vehicles to the border. There was a line five miles long to get into the Ukraine. After about 15 minutes, we moved up half a car. So we knew this was going to take a while. So a bunch of Ukrainian pastors uh, came to our rescue and sent us back to France. And they sat and spent the night in those vehicles, some for two nights, some for three, to get those vehicles into the border. Now, once they get registered, they'll be able to go freely. Uh, but that first time was, was very, very difficult. God overcomes languages. Brenda and I spent six weeks in France in a little city of Bron, where we're trying to get a new church started. Uh, very graciously, a, a family who are not believers uh, were going to be on a European tour for three months, and they offered their house for us to stay in. And we thought, oh, this is going to be great. Well, little we know, they also offered it to another family. She was Armenian. He was Georgian, not Georgia next door to you, Georgia, Russia. <laughs> they were refugees. Two little kids, precious. They understood a little French. My French is poor anyway. But they spoke Russian. We speak English. Two families trying to share one kitchen, washer, dryer. I mean, it was just going to be uncomfortable. And it was for a few days. But God overcomes all that. And then they were shocked the night when we said, hey, tomorrow we're leaving. You know, we're, we're, we're headed back um, to the States. And they both just hugged us and embraced us because we'd been trying to share food and be polite to each other. And uh, so they start scribbling stuff on their phones in Russian, translating us. And uh, they hope to have their own home by next year. And they said, we want you to come and stay with us. So they were very surprised to know about Sergei. And that there's actually a church that speaks Russian. So I want you to pray right now, even as I'm talking, that this family, uh, Robert, Robert and Dodo, and the kids will go, if they have not already, to the Ukrainian church to hear the gospel in their own native language. Um, so be praying for them. God overcomes languages in many, many ways. Third thing there are many kinds of languages. There's not just spoken language or printed language. There's language of experience that not all people can speak. Some of you who've gone through a divorce and then you became a believer afterwards, because of your wounds, because of your hurts, you are better equipped to minister to people who are headed toward divorce than I am. Who, by the way, today is our wedding anniversary. 46 years today in my life. Where's, where's Miss Charlotte? Is she still in here? So 46 years ago, I sang my lovebird song <laughs> that my father taught me because I'm a European bird. <laughs> Singing to a bird who cannot sing, so she is not from Australia or the tropics. 
But she said yes. So we're, we're good to go. Sports is a language. So in Braun, I found a group of men and uh, played uh, patank with them. It's a court game with you roll balls. And it's like bucci ball, if, if bocce ball from, from the UK. It's similar, a little different. And so I made friends. I even, uh, they, they had a tournament, and I got to play in that. And the old American got to the semifinals. They were just like, whoa. And then I got killed. But uh, <laughs> those old men are good. <laughs> but on the last day again, you know, I said, hey, I'm gone. They understood I was a pastor. In fact, curious, fast. Why would an American pastor come to their little town? And I said, I hope to come again next year. And next year I won't work on my French and actually be able to share the gospel with them. And we are praying that we will actually have our own home, that we're not sharing it. So we actually have people into our home because French are very, um, they love food and wine. And it's a two-hour deal. But that's where you really get to know French people. So we're praying we'll have uh, the quarters to be able to do that. But God uses heart languages. Um, God uses recovering alcoholics to reach other alcoholics. God uses widows who can minister to, to widows. That doesn't mean we, we shouldn't all try. But God uses our hurts and our pains and our bad experiences for His honor and glory if we will let Him. But then every now and then, God will use you to reach someone who is experiencing something that you know nothing about. (laughs) But you know you can't pass them off. That this moment is for you. God can take the language of wounds that you don't even comprehend, but equip you to reach someone with whom you have no shared interest. This past uh, spring, we were only in, at the German church for six weeks. We weren't there three months like we were back home. But man, God, God had a timeline for six weeks. First Sunday I'm there, I noticed this guy sitting on the very back row. Big, tall, giant guy. Name's Wade. I meet Wade afterwards. We had uh, coffee together. Um... I knew very little about PTSD until I met Wade. It is a language I still don't fully understand. He, 45 years old, less than 50, retired army medic. And Wade helped me a whole lot. He always sat on the last row because he has to be able to see what's going on around him. I never asked Wade about his army experiences. I didn't need to. He didn't offer to share. He would have if I'd asked. I just said, what are the triggers and how are you coping with it? And as a medic, I mean, I'm sure he's seen a lot of stuff. And uh, there are certain smells, he said, still certain sounds, you know. And uh, I said, well, how are you coping? He said, well, part of it is I've been listening to podcasts and I've come across some Christian pastors. And in our Tuesday meetings, 
and moving this timeline along, he, he tossed away his Catholic upbringing. He gave his life to Christ. And he wanted to be baptized. I had the honor of baptizing Wade uh, before I left Germany. And then our Tuesday morning discipleships, I got him to memorize the scripture. He said, man, I can't remember, I can't remember anything. My, my memory is really plays games. And, uh, but he re- memorized Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live according to him who loved me and gave himself for me. His wife and children started coming right before I left. And my last Tuesday with him, I said, wait, have you ever prayed with your wife? He said, oh, no. I said, well, here, here's your assignment for next Tuesday. I want you to grab her by the hand. I want you to just pray with her. He goes, I can't do that. I said, just try it. Next Tuesday. Did you do it? No, can't do that. <laughs> so I want you to pray right now for Wade. When I get, We're going back in the fall for three months in Germany. And... Uh, Pray that Wade will have uh, prayed with his wife. And pray that he's moved up a row or two. But God was using me to help him. Maybe he helped me more. So this is a come forward church, as Jordan says. God takes languages of our wounds, our hurts that we don't even know, and He equips us to reach someone with whom we have no shared interest. So this morning here and in the overflow section, you know, I I don't know what your life is like. I may not have the experiences you have, and you may think, I can't relate to the mess you're in. And the truth is, I probably can't. You're probably thinking, that old pastor up there doesn't know what's going on in my life. I I probably don't. But this I do know. I serve a God who can overcome communication issues. And if you need Jesus, you need Jesus. And if you're open and if the Holy Spirit is working on you like He was Wade... I'm going to ask you to come give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to be here at the front. Uh, Trevor's going to be here. You may be more comfortable with Trevor than some strange guy. I get that. (laughs) Strange on many levels, I understand. But we'll be here at the front to pray for you, help you find your way to Jesus Christ. So I want to read a final set of verses, then I'm going to say a public prayer. And then uh, you'll have your opportunity to come forward. Revelation 5, when Jesus took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And here's the new song. And I happen to think it's in one language. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slaughtered 
And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign on earth. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your patience. And even how you take our sin of the past and redeem it to work for the good in other people. We're sorry for our sin, Lord. But we're thankful that you use our brokenness to reach other broken people. Our wounds for other wounded people. And sometimes for things people have gone through that we can't even relate to. But you give us the right words to say. So let us be ready. Spiritual passport in hand. To spread your kingdom to the ends of the world. And now call forth those who need prayer. Those who need salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. I'm probably going to sing and come forward if you're ready. And together, page number 501, 501, now I belong to Jesus. <laughs> 